Thank you so much. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what God's done in my life, and then uh, we'll go on from there. I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, first of all. Um, in fact, when I was a teenager, my mom took me to the side one day, and she said, Blake, I didn't have the easiest life either growing up. And to be honest with all of you, my mom had all ears at that point. I was very um, curious because it never occurred to me how my mom grew up before that day. And she began telling me about... Um, When she was growing up, she was raised by my grandparents, her mom and her stepdad. And so when she was growing up, she said, Blake, I don't remember there being very many happy days at all. And it it took me by surprise that she said that, but she said they argued so much. Well, one day when she became a teenager, those arguments gradually turned into actual fighting with each other. And one day my mom said, Blake, I couldn't take it anymore. So my mom at 16 years old, she said, I decided to do something crazy. I decided to take everything I could fit into my one suitcase, and she said she didn't just run away from home. My mom said she moved to a completely different state where she dropped out of my grandparents' lives for good. In fact, she said she gave them one last phone call, and she said, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I've done. I can't take it anymore. Do not contact me again. And that's how she drops communication with my grandparents. Well, a few years go by. She's 18 or 19 years old. She tells me how she meets my dad. And, you know, surprise, here I am a few months later. And I want you to know the greatest thing that ever happened to my mom was this guy right here. I was cute. I was adorable. I don't know what happened, but I was exactly what she needed. And so we go on. I'm five or six years old now. And so I remember my grandma and gra- or my mom telling my younger brother and I, she said, all right, now, boys, I want you to pack up everything you've got because you're going to spend the night with Grandma and Grandpa for a very long time. And we were excited because Grandma and Grandpa gave us Lucky Charms for breakfast. We were ready for that move. And so I don't remember after that. I don't know if a couple months went by. I don't remember if it was just a few weeks. But I do remember going up to my grandparents when I'm still five or six. And I remember asking them, hey, when are we going back to stay with our mom? But they told me something that hurt me because they said, Blake, you're not going back to live with her because your mom doesn't love you anymore and she doesn't want to raise you. And I remember being told that at five or six years old. I'd spend the night with my mom and she said, Blake, you're staying with them now because they stole you away from me. And I think all of you know what was going on. My, my grandparents wanted us to hate our mom. Our mom, our grandparents, and you know, church, I ended up hating them both. I ended up hating my mom for not loving me, for not wanting to raise me. I hated my grandparents for not, uh, for stealing me away from the way things were supposed to be in my mind. But things didn't stop there because a few years later, I turned nine years old and my grandma takes me to a doctor's office and a month later, the DNA test results came back and uh, I met my dad for the first time in my life. And honestly, I remember when I met my dad, I've never told my dad to this day what I thought of him when I met him. I'm never going to tell him what I thought of him. But I remember at nine years old hating my dad because I met him saying, I guess you didn't want to raise me either. I guess you found out I was going to be born. You took off because I wasn't worth it to you. And I couldn't figure out why I was having to meet my own dad. And I grew up that way until I was about 15 years old. And when I turned 15, that's when God did something exciting for me. I got taken out of a public school and I was placed in a Christian school. And I know you know what I'm going to say, but that's okay. I hated that thing too. (laughs) I did not want to be there. And I looked at my friends now. They had both parents in the same house. They laughed all the time. They made friends easy. They just knew the Bible, went to church. And it ate me up to see how happy they were. And that first chapel message, our youth director took God's word. And he preached the shortest Baptist sermon you've ever heard. It only had two points. And his sermon was simple. It's from Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. And church, he spoke very plainly about that word wages. He said, our punishment, 
our penalty for sin and the things that we've done wrong. He said, we are going to die one day because of those things. And there is an appointment we have with death. And he said, there is nothing any of us can do to escape that appointment we have with death. But he didn't stop there because he took that point a step further by saying, because of our rebellion to God and our unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, we are going to die one day and we deserve to go to this real place called hell. And church, I remember listening to the rest of that message in so much anger because I remember looking up to heaven and telling God, I guess you hate me too. I don't know if you've ever been so angry that you cried yourself to sleep out of anger. That is how angry I was that night. To think my mom didn't want me, my grandparents, I had to meet my dad, and now God doesn't want me. And church, I don't know how God did it the next day. I don't know how he broke through the walls I had set up. I don't know how he got past my anger. I don't know how he broke through my bitterness. But I praise God he knows how to do things like that. Because the next day I remembered the rest of his message. He said, yes, the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he began to explain this free gift God offers to all of mankind. And he said that the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ the Lord. And he told us that Christ loved us so much that he died on the cross and rose again the third day. And all we need to do is turn to God and accept that gift. And church, I knew enough from his message to know I needed to turn to God and place my faith alone in Jesus Christ. And I know, I thought things were going to be sunshine and rainbows after that. I really did. I thought, all right, I'm saved. I got Jesus in my life, and now it's going to be easy the rest of my days. You and I know that isn't true. (laughs) There's still battles that we go through. But may I tell you what that immediate change was? The Bible talks about there's a transformation that happens when we're born again. That anger, that hatefulness and bitterness I had to my family I was able to forgive them for everything. I was able to let it go. And from what I remember being the first time in my life, I was able to love my family after that in church. I might not have known who my dad was until just a little later. I might not have been loved or wanted by my mom when I was growing up. But when God saved me, he adopted me into his heavenly family. And I've got a father in heaven who will never leave me or forsake me. And a God who opens up the floodgates of heaven and pours out that love on me. And church, I don't know where you've been tonight. I don't know if your life was much, much harder than mine. I don't know if it was much easier than mine. But what I do know is that there is a God in heaven who wants to meet you where you're at. And I don't know your spiritual condition. I don't know if you died right now. I don't know where you'd go. But if you don't know you're going to heaven, I want you to know God loves you. He died on the cross and he rose again. And he wants to save you. And if you are saved, may I say something? There's a God in heaven who wants to use you in such a big, big way. Will you let him do that? If you remember in our video, I'll talk about that in just a second. Bridget and I, we were in the right place in the right moment uh, last year in November. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. We were in the right place in the right moment. And it seemed completely random uh, what God was doing in our lives. But as I was walking into our pastor's office in Alpharetta, Georgia, a young man comes running out of his office and it scares me half to death. My heart's beating fast. I have to catch my breath for a second. I'm like, hey, Joe, what's going on, buddy? What you in a hurry for? He looks at me and he says, hey, Blake, you're a guy. I said, yes. <laughs> what's that have to do with anything, buddy? He said, well, pastor wants you in his office. I said, okay, that's where we're going, weirdo. <laughs> so I go in his office And then our pastor looks at us, and just to let you know, he just grabbed the first four guys he could find, and I was the second one. And he said, guys, we have a missionary in Colombia and South America named Miguel Sanabria you saw in the video. 
he started his first church service that week, but he had passed out 10,000 flyers that said Americans were coming over and there are going to be temporary free English classes. The English classes are a ministry we use to give the gospel to people who'd never step foot inside of a church otherwise. I just want you to know, we've seen atheists come to know Christ. We've even, we've even seen Muslims trust Christ as their Savior and join the church because of a ministry like that. And well, the flyer said Americans are coming over, and this is where missionaries get a little sneaky. So the flyers also said to assist with English, the first three church services of Vision Baptist Church in Medellin, Colombia were going to be held, and the Americans are going to preach in English, and they're going to be English songs. So that's where it got a little sneaky at, but here's the situation. There is a church group that was supposed to go over there, and something unfortunate happened. I don't remember what, but they weren't able to go out there. and just It was an unfortunate thing, but I praise God for that because that's where we came in. Our pastor said, guys, you want to go to Columbia? We said, we saw it on TV, never been before, beautiful country, pastor. He said, it's not going to be a vacation. We said, pastor, if we can't make it a week, we can't do it the rest of our lives. So he said, that's what I wanted to hear. You guys are going to go out there and work hard. You know, we were in Columbia less than 24 hours from that meeting. Uh, we met with our pastor Sunday night. Monday afternoon, we were in Columbia. And our pastor was right. It was a lot of hard work. I don't know how many thousands of more flyers we passed out around the community. We did our best to share Christ with the limited knowledge of the language that we know. But you know what? We saw God do some great things out there. That first English class, we weren't prepared for this many. But 117 people came to the first class. And out of that 117, 22 people began going to the church every single service. And I'm rejoicing that just last week, um, there was about 53 people Sunday morning that was in the church and, you know, church, when I was in England, our pastor out there, he knocked on doors 40 hours a week. He said for three years straight. He said the first year, no one even darkened the door to his church. He said the second year, he had three visitors that were different. They never came back. And it wasn't until midway through the third year that finally started people, people started coming to the church. I only said that to say I was so thrilled that 22 people came to that first service when I saw that. But what broke my heart for that country, this is another thing that was completely random at the time, and I see now how God had his hand all in this. About two or three days into the trip, Miguel took us to a, a school, and I want you to know every village, every town, and every city in all of Latin America believe what I'm about to tell you, and Medellin in Colombia is no different. But we went to the school, and every village, town, and city have their own saints that they pray and worship to. They're praying to these saints and trusting them to provide answers to prayers. They're trusting in them for their salvation. And so the lady you saw, Mother Lara, in the video at the beginning, you saw several school-aged children bow down their knees around it. I told you that the teacher told them, if you want her to bless you and if you want her to take you into heaven, these are the things you have to do. Be good people. Well, what the video does not show is right outside of the doors of that sanctuary, there is a room with three walls in it. And from the floor to the ceiling, from one wall to the other wall, I roughly counted about 800 plaques in that one room dedicated to Mother Lara. And uh, the plaques said something like this. Some of them said, thank you, Mother Lara, for answering my prayers. Thank you, Mother Lara, for healing my sick daughter. And thank you, Mother Lara, for giving me a job and for providing for my family. 800 plaques in one room. I'm not scratching the hem of the garment when I talk about how many plaques are in the entire city and much less how many plaques are in the entire country. 
and in all of South America. Church, I went home that night because I realized something. I realized that Satan has done a good job at 2 Corinthians 4.4 that says, In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not. And I don't know. I went home that night thinking, maybe my mind was wondering. Maybe God was just trying to speak to me. But I don't know how many millions of Colombians over the decades have died and they've gone to this place called hell thinking that their works would be enough to satisfy God's wrath. And they honestly think today that God has either forsaken them or that their works never measured up to heaven. And church, if I can say this, that's something you and I could have very easily have fallen into ourselves were it not for God's grace. They believe that to their core, and they are trusting in their works, and they're trusting in the saints and statues that they're praying and worshiping. Church, I'm never going to quote that verse without finishing it, though, because the rest of it says, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I want you to know when we finally get out there, we're not going to tell them I can get you to heaven because that is the last thing they need to hear someone say. We're going to go out there and we're just going to preach God's word and we're going to tell them the same things that you and I hear every single week in every service, that there is a God who sent his only begotten son, that he died on the cross and he rose again the third day and he said he is the only way to the Father. Church, we got a big dream. Uh, if you want to hear more about our burden or our work, please let me know. We want to see souls saved with the gospel. We want to see churches planted over Medellin. We want to see national men rise up and pastor those churches. I've got a big dream, and it might be a little bit silly to say this publicly, but uh, that's okay. I'm going to say it anyway. Have a dream that one day God will no longer call missionaries to Medellin, Colombia, because national men have gotten the burden and they've decided that they're going to serve their God and give the rest of their lives to reaching their city. We might be dead and gone by the time that dream ever comes, to, ever comes in the light, but I think I read somewhere that we have a God of the impossible, if I'm not mistaken. If you don't mind, I'd like to take the rest of the time and preach a short message. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, 1 John chapter 3. And if you don't mind, before we get into the verse we're about to look at, we're going to look at one verse to begin with, the beginning of it. As we go into 1 John 3, I want you to know something. I've been saved about four years at this point. I turned 19 years old, and I was getting ready one day to go play basketball with some of my friends. Well, I was running a little bit late, because that's just what I did at that time. And so my grandpa, he always had a chair that he sat in. It was his chair. I wasn't allowed to sit in it. Believe me, I made that mistake one time, never made it again. He set me straight. And so I had to go over his chair, and well, when I reached for the door handle that day, my grandpa stopped me, and he said, well, hey, Bubba, wait just a second. I said, what, what? I got to go. I'm going to be late. He said, now hold on. It'll only take a second. (sighs) Okay. What is it? My grandpa stopped me to say this. He said, I know you might not understand this yet, but when I look at you, I see you as one of my own. And then my grandpa in his own words, he finished that by saying, I mean, Bubba, there's no other way around it. You and me, I mean, we blood. And one day when I read the verse we're about to look at, I began wondering, what would make a man like that look at me and say that? You know, it was my mom's stepdad. In other words, it was my step-grandpa. Him and I, we weren't even related by blood. But he looked at me that day and said, you might not get it now, but when I look at you, I see you as one of my own. And he said he saw me as one of his own to the point to where he said, you're blood of my blood. And would you look at 1 John 3, and would you look at the beginning of verse 1? 
where God's word reads, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. I remember reading this part of the verse and God encouraged me with what I just told you so much because I want you to know that the day you called out to God, the day he saved you, he did something exciting for you, that you and I were adopted in his heavenly family, that you were born again and you were born into the king's family. And when our God looks at you, he says something very similar, what my grandpa said to me. In this verse, he looks at us and says, you might not get it now, but when I look at you, I don't remember who your father, the devil used to be. When I look at you, I don't remember that you were one of my enemies. When I look at you, I don't remember all the things that you ever did wrong in your past because I look at you with eyes so full of love that I've chosen to call you my sons and my daughters. And church, if you'd let me the next few minutes, I just want to try to encourage you tonight because I want you to realize that our God loves you tremendously. And would you begin to go with me to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16? Do you remember what he did for you? 1 John 3.16, God says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. Would you look at 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10 that say, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Verse 10, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Church, do you remember what he did for you when he was still flesh and blood on this earth? Do you remember when he was being brought into the city, his people, the Jews, would praise his name to no end, saying, this is our Messiah, Hosanna is coming, Hosanna in the highest, this is our King, and we're going to love him forever. And do you remember those same people just days later betrayed him? Do you remember... When he was in the garden that he sweat drops of blood for you and for me. Do you remember one of his disciples betrayed him for a few pieces of silver? Do you remember how when he was betrayed that night they took him before the council of the Sanhedrin? And the Sanhedrin condemned him to death. And the Bible says in the gospel records that right after he was condemned, that the Bible says that they took Christ, the people put a blindfold on him, And they began to take the palms of their hands, mocking him, smiting him in his face, saying, if you're really who you say you are, here's your chance. Prove it. Prophesy. Who just hits you in your face? Do you remember how right when he was going through all of that, his disciple Peter was cussing around the campfire, denying him three times in Christ's greatest hour of need? Do you remember him being placed in jail that night? And the next morning, they brought him before Pilate and the Roman soldiers, according to Matthew. They stripped Christ completely naked and humiliated him. They put a scarlet robe on him and wove a crown with thorns, inches thick, beat it down on his head. And the Bible says the Roman soldiers took the palms of their hands, smote Christ in his face, mocking him, saying, this is our king. Do you remember how right when he was beaten, they brought him before Pilate? Pilate takes him before his people. And the people who said, we're going to love you forever, were the same people in the vast multitude. They cried out to crucify him twice. You remember that his beard was plucked out of his face for you and for me? Do you remember how when Christ was tied down, they scourged his back to the point to where his back literally broke and tore for us? Do you remember how Isaiah said that he was beaten so bad that the Bible says that you could not recognize him as a man anymore? Do you remember him carrying his cross up the hill, but they thought he was so weak that he was going to die. Do you remember them 
getting the man Simon to carry it up for him. Do you remember them nailing his hands and feet to the cross and then finally placing him upright in the ground? And do you remember his people mocking him one final time saying, if you're really who you say you are, here's your chance. Prove it. Get yourself down from the cross and then we'll believe. And do you remember his response for you and for me? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Church, do you remember the Roman soldier piercing his side? Do you remember them burying him in the tomb where the soldiers watched it in vain for three days? And do you remember the most exciting thing that ever happened in history when our awesome God rose up from the dead? Church, let me ask you a question. Does our God have to do anything more to prove his love for you and for me? Yes or no? No. But you know what? He does. That our God doesn't stop with just saving us. He doesn't stop with being humiliated or being tortured. He doesn't stop with just adopting us into his family. That when we read God's word, he always seems to take his love a step further than what you and I might realize sometimes. And I know that there are things that we all go through in this life that really are sometimes just unavoidable. I know sometimes we can plead our hearts out to God saying, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I lost my job, my transmission in my car blew. I don't know what I'm going to do. I I don't make enough money to provide for my family and I have no idea what to do next. You know, I can see our God with a soft smile on his face looking at you and me in those moments saying, you know, I know what you're going through is tough, but did I tell you that I own the cattle on a thousand hills? (laughs) Didn't I tell you that I own the wealth in every mile? And didn't I promise you that I'm going to provide for your needs every step of the way? And I don't know if anyone in here would testify or not, but if you're here tonight, did God not provide everything you've ever had in your life to where you are now? And guess what? Our God is not going to stop because he has promised to provide for our needs But I know that there are other things that we all go through in church. If you don't mind if I open up just for a minute. My grandparents who raised me, they died when I was in England. I never got to say goodbye to them face to face. I never had that opportunity to do that. And when my grandpa, my grandpa died after my grandma did. So we're in January of 2012 now. I go home from my grandpa's funeral. My uncle calls me on the phone and he says, hey, Blake, I just want to prepare you. Um, the house looks different now. He said, uh, your grandparents' things are gone. We took out the furniture, and the only thing that looks the same is your room. I just didn't want that to hit you when you walked in. And I appreciated what my uncle tried doing for me that day, but I just want you to know words couldn't prepare me for what I was about to walk into because as soon as I hung up the phone and opened the door, I took a step inside, and something just overwhelmed me in that moment because I looked straight to where my grandpa's chair used to be, and it wasn't there anymore. I looked at that couch to where my grandma always crocheted those weird-looking blankets on. It wasn't there anymore either. In fact, the only thing that looked the same was what my uncle said. It was just my room. And I opened up my closet, and God did something kind of special for me in that moment. I opened up my closet, and I remembered something that my grandpa did for me. My grandpa, at the end of his life, he could not walk from his chair to the car without stopping at the doorway to get a breath of air. He shuffled his feet at the end of his life. But he heard that he knew I was going to go to a Bible college. And he said, I want to be able to say that I did something for Bubba. My grandma could have done this in 30 minutes. But what she could have done in 30 minutes, it took him three and a half hours to do in Walmart. He just bought me a a few school supplies. You know, um, he bought me a book bag with wheels on it. I had no idea how many books I was going to have at Bible college. It saved my back. I looked in there. He bought me loose leaf paper. Didn't know how many notes I would take when I went there. Got down, you ever seen those little pink erasers? 
Well, he got me a big one. I still have that thing. I never used that, but I still have it. And so got down to the last two items. Last, one of the last things he got me was this big bag of 160 lead pencils. I lost every single one of them that next semester. But hey, I had them when I needed it. And it got down to the last item. My grandpa bought me a pack about this tall. Uh, it was about that thick of uh, tissues. And as soon as I got to him, I knew, as soon as I got to him, I used half of them because I realized in that moment that they're gone, that they're not coming back, and that there is absolutely nothing I can do about it. I don't have them there to call them for advice. I don't have them to talk to them. I don't have them anymore, and they're gone. But church, I know that you and I have dark hours in our lives. I know you and I go through some hard things, but I want you to know that even when something like death comes by your way, when it takes somebody that you thought was going to be there forever, we read some of the sweetest promises our God has to us in Scripture. I can see our God saying to us, you know, I know what you're going through is hard, but be strong, have a good courage, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, because I am with you wherever you go, and the sweetest promise to me in the entire Bible, as I believe it's found in the book of Psalms, look, our God in those dark hours of our life says something like this, he says here, let me hide you under my wings for a moment, you can stay here as long as you want, because I'm not going anywhere, and church, I just want you to know tonight, our God loves you, and he's not going to stop, like it or love it. I don't know what you've gone through, but our God is not going to leave you comfortless during any step of this journey. But before we go on, would you look at 1 John chapter 3? And would you look at the very first word in that verse that says, Behold? I hope when you get to a word like that, you don't just overlook it, because this is so encouraging. This word, behold, it literally means to perceive In other words, it means to see or to look at. And if you look around this room, you'll see a clock that I'm watching very intently. You'll see lights. You'll see a baptistry. You'll see a bald-headed guy trying to preach to you all tonight. Like those things, don't laugh at that. (laughs) Like those things, you can't deny that. Those are things you can obviously see with your eyes. And if you don't mind me saying this verse in Georgia Hillbilly just for a minute, God is literally saying, looky here, I love you so much that I've called you my son and my daughter. And church, if I'm not mistaken, the one thing you can look back on and obviously see is that God has loved you, and He's never going to stop, as overwhelming as that may seem sometime. But the rest of this message is going to go by quickly. I realized something almost 14 or 15 years ago. When I was 15, God taught me something. He taught me that it wasn't right for me to take that love And keep it to myself anymore. And church, if you allow me to be very blunt and very plain spoken just for a second, it isn't right for you to take that love and keep it to yourselves either. It's never okay for us to do that. If you don't mind, we're going to look at a few verses. I begin wondering, what should that love God has for us? What should that love motivate us to do? And one day, God taught me something. I think it should motivate us, first of all, in my opinion. I think it should motivate us to love Christ more. You know, I remember I had a, it may be a silly goal, but years ago when I was 15, I had a goal. I decided that I wanted to love Christ more today than I did yesterday. And, you know, at some point, that became more true as I lived, as I got to know God more. I just want to know, do you love him more today than you did yesterday? Do you love him more today than you did a week ago? Do you love him more today than you did last year? I hope so. 
But I can take you to Deuteronomy 6.5 or Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. And God's word simply says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy spirit. And church, you know that there's different types of love in the Bible. There's a love that one spouse has for the other spouse you only have for your spouse. There's a brotherly type of love that says, uh, uh, Pastor, I love you like a brother, but trust me, that's all you get. There's a brotherly type of love. There's a love in the Bible that God has for all of mankind. What made him go through humiliation for us? What made him suffer? What made him humble himself? What made him sacrifice? That type of love is what I was so convicted about in Scripture because God literally says, the way I've loved you is the way I want you to love me back. And church, all I want to ask before we go on, is he worth you giving your life to? It's the type of love that says, God, I don't care what you have for me in my life. I don't care if it's to have an easy life. I don't care if it's for me to sacrifice. God, whatever your will is for my life, help me live it for you because you are worthy. And church, I think that love should motivate us to love each other more. Would you look at 1 John chapter 3? Would you look at verse 16 and 17? God's word says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Do you look at 1 John four eleven, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And would you look at 1 John chapter 5? Would you look at verse 1 and 2 with me? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. And verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. You know what broke my heart this morning? I, sometimes things just happen in our lives and so we just don't have words. Sometimes all we can really do is just seems like to pray for somebody. But the church we were at this morning, the pastor's brother was in services. And um, I hope it's okay for me to say this. His brother was in services and... Um, Last year in November, November 25th, his son was shot and his son was killed. And now they're going through trials to go through all of this. Church, a dark hour came by that man and that, his wife's life. And I know that sometimes we don't have words and we feel like there's nothing we can do. But that man and his wife, right now in their life, they are in great need of something. And they need people to love on them tremendously. And I just want you to know, the one place you and I should feel loved is right here in the walls of this building. That I know Satan can come by our way. I know it seems like he can wreck our lives. I know sometimes, look, you and I haven't arrived into heaven yet. We still mess up, don't we? We're still flesh and blood, and sometimes Satan can cause us to stumble. But even when something like that happens, the one place you and I should feel like we can go to is right here saying, a tragedy happened in my life, or I fell, but I know I need you to love on me a little bit. In church, if I'm not mistaken, sometimes we get a bad reputation, don't we? Be honest. Sometimes it's like when Satan's already come by our way, here we are right behind them, kicking them into the ground even further. If I can say this, does God's word not say you which are spiritual? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Then it asks us to consider that we could have ended up just like that. Church, I'm going to move on from this. But the thing I was convicted by, it's the same word love that God has loved us with. Verse 16 said in chapter 3, This is how we perceive God's love, because Christ 
laid down his life for us, and we ought to do the same thing for our brethren. Are you willing to die for each other? Let's move on. That's not real popular. Last thing I want to say is something simple. In fact, I think all of you see it coming, but that's okay. I'm going to say it anyway. I think God's love should motivate us to love the world more, but the way that Christ loved the world. Now, church, I could take you to a few verses, but I think tonight one will do just fine. In John 3.16, that says, For God so loved the world. Would you turn with me to one last passage in Romans chapter 13? This will be our last portion tonight. Romans chapter 13. And we'll begin reading in verse 8. God's word says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And verse 9 says, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And would you look at Romans 13, verse 11, that says, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. My Bible's closed. I'll give you hope. Got one more thing I just want to mention about Columbia. But in that verse, I, you know, I know you've heard this, but I circled the word now, and then I drew a line to the phrase before it, because it says, And know the time that you're living in. It says, and know the time, church. Is this world getting any more holy? Is it getting any more Christ-like? What did Paul tell Timothy? That this world is going to wax worse and worse. And God is looking at us in that verse that talks about loving each other. And he says, and know the time that you're living in. And he doesn't say yesterday is the time. You know, I heard people say that God used to work in the past in church. He did work in the past, but that doesn't mean he's done in our day and age. God is still saving people. God is still calling people in the ministry. God is still reaching out to preachers. And God is still doing a big work in our day and age. And it's not a thing of tomorrow. I had friends at Bible college who told me this, and I never forgot it. I had friends who said, yeah, one day I'm going to be all in it. One day I'm going to give my life completely to God and I'm going to serve him. But right now I'm going to do my own thing. And they did. They, they lived up to what they said. But church, you realize something. The time for loving God, the time for loving each other, the time for loving the world is not a thing of the past or tomorrow. It's a thing that we need to do right now. Because then God looks at us and it's almost as if he takes his finger and he points it to each one of his children and he says it. He says, know the time you're living in. He says, because now it's time for you to wake up. And church, if I can say this, I just want to brag on our friends in Colombia just for a minute. I praise God to have a friend like Miguel and Mary Angela in Colombia. When we go to Colombia, when we go to Medellin, our first couple years is going to consist of learning the language and culture. We're going to serve God alongside of them in their ministry during that time. Afterwards, we'll go out, we'll start our churches. But one day this year, it was February or March, something exciting happened. You know, they went to, uh, they were driving home from church that night. It was dark. Well, they crossed a bridge to get to their house. Well, this bridge, they saw something up ahead in the distance. And the closer they got, they realized that there was a young man on the other side of the railings. And just to let you know, his name was Carlos. Carlos was drunk that night, and he was about to jump off the bridge to commit suicide. 
Uh, he, he was at the end of his life. He was very depressed. Well, Miguel, Colombian guy, he gets out of his car when he comes up near to him, gets, stops his car in the middle of traffic, opens his door, runs out, goes to where Carlos is, bear hugs Carlos, brings him on the other side of the railings to the safe side, and he's not letting Carlos go, and he's trying to get away. But Carlos has tears in his eyes, and he's literally saying, no, 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 let me jump, let me go. I've got nothing to live for anymore. He's pleading with Miguel to let him just commit suicide, and he's saying, my family doesn't love me. I don't have any friends. I lost my job and God's given up on me. But at this point, Miguel has tears in his eyes and he's pleading back and he's saying, that isn't true because I'm a preacher. God allowed me to see you before you were about to jump and he allowed me to save your life. Don't do this. And he finally comes Carlos down. Well, at the end of their conversation, Miguel just simply asked Carlos, Carlos, can I take you home and can we meet for breakfast tomorrow morning? Are you paying preacher? He says, yes, I'm paying. So then he takes him home, and then the next day, Miguel honored his word. We've heard about it by this point. We're all praying. And well, Miguel uh, picks him up, and they, they spend over an hour talking around breakfast time, and Carlos, at the end of it all, says, Preacher, that's good for you, but I don't believe anything you're saying. Miguel says, Carlos, can we meet for dinner tonight? He says, I'm paying. Can we meet for dinner? Carlos says, That's fine, Preacher. They meet for dinner at the end of their dinner conversation. Carlos says the same thing again. He said, preacher, that's good for you, but I know that God's given up on me. He doesn't love me. He's too busy for someone like me. Miguel, Miguel asked him again, can we meet for lunch tomorrow? I'll pay, but can we please talk more? Church, I'm just trying to submit that Miguel loved God and Miguel loved Carlos enough not to let it go. And the next day, I'm so proud to tell you what Isaiah 59.1 says. It says, uh, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it could not save, neither his ear heavy that it could not hear Carlos when he called out to him that day. Carlos got saved, and God began working in his life. And church, I want you to know something. The time for loving people, it's now. Carlos would have ended his life that night or someone who didn't love God, God brought someone along Carlos' way. And church, I just want to ask two questions tonight, and we're going to finish. Someone asked me this question years ago. I heard it. I sat in my seat, and I cried because I knew I didn't have a good answer. And if you allow me to, I'm not talking to you as a church anymore, if you'll allow me to do that, because I know as a church, you've done some great things. If I can speak to each one of you individually, I just want to ask each one of you a question. This question was asked me, are you okay with what you've done for the Lord at this point in your life? If you can say yes to that, I want you to know I'm not being a jerk and I'm not being facetious in any way. If you can say you're okay with what you're doing for the Lord right now, thank you. Because this world needs more people like you to keep doing what you're doing. But if you're anything like I was and like I am, I know that I cannot say yes to that question because I know I can always take it a step further. And church, do you know someone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior? Do you know someone, if they died right now, they would not go to heaven? Do you know somebody like that? Is it worth your time to call them and say, can we meet for lunch tomorrow? I'll buy, but there's something important I just want to talk to you about. Is it worth going to our God, begging him to work in their lives and save them when you talk to them? Church, the only thing I want you to remember from this message is that God loves you, and he's never going to stop.
Like it or love it, he is going to be there for you in those dark hours and through the happy hours because he's God of the mountains and he's God of the valleys. And church, I want you to remember the rest of it. That love should motivate us to love Christ more, should motivate us to love each other more, and it should motivate us to love this world more the way that Christ loved the world. Father, I love you so much and I thank you for what you've done. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I already believe that it won't return into you void, but I'm asking you that you would work in such a big way right now. And I'm asking you to use your word. I love you. I thank you for loving me. And I do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.